What's up, everyone? It's the Love, the Jam, the podcast. I'm Chapan, coming to you as always with Rob. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm moved to Michigan. That's what I've been doing the past few weeks when the pod has been uh, dormant. It's partially mm-hmm. been because of that and because there is literally nothing going on in the NBA right now. Yeah, I mean, if it was playoff season, we'd probably be talking, but it is not <laughs> yes. right now. It is no. decisively not playoff season. Uh, it's still an exciting time for Clipper fans. Um, I've been just enjoying my weekend off. It's been, this is a, this is, this is a tough rotation month for me, but I had the weekend off. I enjoyed it a little bit, rested a little bit, caught up on some errands and just, did the usual stuff. I also listened to the Sterling affairs um, over the last few days. And, well, I mean, we're probably going to start off talking about these podcasts a little bit. Ramona Shelburne, longtime L.A. reporter, covered the Clippers quite a bit as well as the Lakers, did uh, did a pretty good job rehashing everything that's gone on with the Sterling. With uh, Sterling. Although I kind of wish it could have been a Clipper person like Kevin Arnovitz even, but I'm not going to really complain too much. Ramona did a great job. And uh, the podcasts were fairly illuminating, but it really wasn't much of what we hadn't already known as Clipper fans. Rob, I mean, we could just kind of start with, do you remember when all this happened? Like, how it affected me a lot, surprisingly. How did how did this whole thing, you know, we were in the Warrior series, and this thing happened in between what was kind of a cathartic Game 3 win. It was the, it was a Steph Curry probably got fouled by Chris Paul game. <laughs> yeah. But, um... That was a pretty great win in a really hostile environment, and we kind of were, you know, in the thick of the series, and then this thing came out, and it was kind of earth-shattering. How did how did the whole thing affect you? Do you remember how, like, where you were and all that? Yeah, so I was sitting at home watching Clippers games. Uh, this was the year before I started writing at Clips Nation, so that's really dating it because I'm sure – most people have been around there for forever or just about. And this was so long ago. I was not writing with the site yet. Um, but yeah, and I was just sitting, I was watching games and all of a sudden, like, I don't know how, I don't remember exactly how I saw it. I think it was probably on Twitter. I just started on Twitter and, you know, the news broke. And at once it was so weird because at one time it was both surprising because you never expect to see something like that. And also not surprising at all because it's Donald Sterling and he's like a racist asshole. So it was just really tough because, you know, as this, as the tapes kind of detailed, you know, on the podcast, people didn't really know what might happen. There were talks about the Clippers and Warriors boycotting the game. There were talks of them boycotting the series. Um, you know, there were rumors about other teams and other players like LeBron James not playing until the situation was resolved. So it was this thing where the entire NBA was almost up in the air for a couple of days, and it was because of something Clippers-related in a very bad way. So on one hand, it was kind of all the Clippers' fears about Sterling's, Sterling coming home to roost, and at the same time, there was an opportunity to get rid of him once and for all and when that was seized, I mean, it, it's probably the single best day in, in Clippers franchise history until they get win a championship is, is probably the day that, that silver band Sterling for life. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was, I was probably just sitting at home, just watching NBA and just marveling at 
how big of an idiot and just how awful Donald Sterling was, uh, but also at, you know, just the chaos that this was causing around the NBA and in professional sports. I mean, again, as Ramona wrote about in her accompanying article on ESPN, I mean, Obama was talking to Adam Silver just 48 hours later, which is absolutely crazy when you think about it. Right. Did you think anything was going to happen from after you kind of heard what was going on? I was pretty optimistic. You know, I, mean, yeah. I could probably mm-hmm. find the tweets because I was tweeting about it. I could probably find them. Um, I did think something was going to happen. I don't know if I expected Sterling to be banned for life. I probably was not anticipating that, but I did think it was bad enough that some punitive action would take place. Yeah. When I first found out about it, I think I woke up and I was on Facebook probably. And one of my buddies had posted it on my wall and I listened to it and I just thought, this is just sterling. Like I, I honestly, when I heard it, I didn't think anything was going to happen. I thought that it was bad, but it was like, this is who sterling is. And I remember replying on the post is when my buddies who, uh, probably likes college basketball more than the NBA, but he knows I hate sterling. Uh, and, and I was just like, this is just who this guy is. Like, what do we even expect the NBA? I, I, I remember, I don't think I said it in my, in my Facebook thing, but I kind of insinuated later. I'm like, the NBA has been letting this guy do this for so long. Are they going to do anything about it now? I hope so. But I had for a long time accepted that Sterling was just going to outlive me and own the Clippers until I died. And I, <laughs> I would hate him for it because I thought he was a piece of shit. Like I fucking hated him, but like, I thought he was like everything that I, you know, didn't like about the Clippers was like represented in this person who like swayed everything. Um, but I remember thinking like, this is just who this guy is. Like maybe something will happen, but, and maybe Silver will do something about it. But I actually wasn't particularly optimistic when I first heard the tapes. I, I just knew that it just affirmed all we already knew about him, that he's just a racist asshole. And, uh, yeah, everything that kind of followed was surreal. Yeah. Game four, I watched game four with my buddy, um, at a bar in, uh, somewhere in between, maybe in between Orange County and, and LA. Um, I watched it with my buddy who's a huge Warriors fan and I like, I didn't even care. I was just like, they're going to lose this game. Like, how are they going to even win this game? They did the whole, uh, I think it was like an inverted, inverted, uh, uh, jerseys, yeah, not jerseys, warm-up war, but warm-up yeah. stuff, which was super yeah. cool. Part of me, I had heard all the the rumors about them boycotting, and like I kind of wanted them to. I was like, they should just, they should just not play. I kind of was kind of into that idea, and I know that there was enough rumblings before the game that you probably heard it too. W- what were your <laughs> thoughts about the idea of them boycotting that game? I was for it. I thought they should do it. Um, yeah, you know, it's easier too. said than done because. <laughs> Yeah, right, you know, right. for those guys boycotting, I think Blake mentioned it in the piece. I'm not sure if it was in the podcast too. I can't remember, but you know, it's easy mm-hmm. for us to say like, oh, you know, you should boycott. Like, how can you play for this guy? But like, they never played for him, and it was something they'd been working up right. to the entire year. I mean, this is the playoffs against a team that they had this kind of growing rivalry with, and you know, the players. A competitive nature of these guys did not want to just throw a game against the Warriors. I mean, if the Warriors had boycotted too, then I mean, I guess it would have been replayed, but it would have just been very up in the air. And I, I think I understand that they didn't want to do that. But at the time, I was all for them boycotting. I thought they should take like a moral 
high ground and just refused to play while Donald Sterling was the owner. And in hindsight, it's probably good that they didn't because Adam Silver got Sterling out of there anyway. And if they had boycotted a game, you know, players might have been punished. The organization as a whole might have been punished. I mean, things could have gone a very, very different path. And they didn't because Doc Rivers held his ground and and Silver came in. And, um, you know, a couple of days later, it was history. But at the time, I was all for the boycott. Yeah, I was absolutely for it. And I remember two days later when the ban was announced, I was actually studying for step one, uh, which is like my, for one of my first board exams. The one that everybody gets stressed out about when they're studying <laughs> from in medical school. And I remember leaving the library and, uh, just streaming the, the presser and like, and like getting, getting hyped when it, when Silver actually said, said it in plain letters, you know, banned for life. It was, it was a huge deal, but at the same time, I remember when it happened, it was cathartic, but at the same time, I thought, this isn't, this isn't the end of this dude. Like, <laughs> if I know anything about Donald Sterling, he is litigious and he is not just gonna let, not gonna sit on this. And I was still worried, like, I, the whole time, you know, game five was super cathartic, the we are one stuff, the all black is super yeah, great, yeah. the crowd was great, and a pretty close, pretty close game, it was like a, pretty consistently a five to seven point game, I feel like, the whole game. And, uh, it was, it was a really great environment, the we are one chance, uh, the other, the other teams adopting the we are one on social media, it was all super cool. And of course, game seven was absolutely electric. Game, game six, we actually had a chance to seal that one, but ended up going seven. And, and game seven was as electric as I feel like Staples was mm-hmm. during the Lob City era. Yeah. It was a, it was a great game filled with that awesome, um, DeAndre Jordan block to the JJ Redick, uh, lob, um, to Blake, maybe it was. Um, it was, it was really fantastic. And of course, the acrobatic, shot that Blake hit to close the game and JJ Reddick hit a hit a shot that put Steph to the floor to seal the game. It was a really great game. And uh and I was actually writing for Clips Nation that year. Memorably and infamously I actually wrote um game five of the of the um OKC series where oh, no. we had a chance to go up and lost. <laughs> that was my game well, that okay. I was covering. I was game five of the and it was it, the next year. <laughs> Oh God, yeah. So we both had our had our had our uh, stamps in Clipper misery, but um, yeah, that was that was a rough game to cover. But I, I had been writing for the t- for the for the website, and uh, it was it was a uh, you know it was exciting, but almost more nerve wracking than anything else. I remember I stayed home to just listen to the whole court case and uh, the unfit portion of Ramona's podcast, and just Shelley kind of essentially kind of rallying everything against Donald to try and push him out. And by the way, my biggest critique on the podcast was that Shelly Sterling was probably painted a little too yeah. flowery for my liking. Cause I, I don't think Shelly is guiltless no, at all. I don't like Shelly Sterling either. She said some, she said some horrible she's also things on terrible. So. She's married to him for a long time. Yes. I mean, that's the, that's been, I think, the biggest criticism, not just from Clippers fans, but just from everybody. It's just that she is, I don't know if she was portrayed as a saint, but you know, she came off looking very good, um, yeah. with like the minimus, minimal possible bar clearance. Um, so anyway, continue, yeah. but yeah, I, I agree. 
yeah, Shadi pretty much came off as like almost a hero of sorts of the Clippers and like just somebody who took a lot of abuse essentially. And I just, uh, that was my biggest critique of the whole thing. And it really ended pretty much with, with Shelly being this kind of person who persevered and things like that. It's not, not my thing, but anyways, like that was probably the most nerve wracking thing to me. Cause I just kept thinking that he was going to take, he was going to drag this out and, and we wouldn't have an owner and we would be in limbo. And then who knows what would happen to the team? Like, is Bomber ever going to buy the team? Like, what's going to happen? Like, I was I was really worried that this would just be drawn out for a very long time, and it wasn't. And that was kind of the surprising thing is everything felt like it got wrapped up super quickly, and and uh, the Clippers were moving on to a new owner, and and all that was happening. And it's unfortunate because that Clipper team was probably the most talented. Yeah, we've discussed of the this. Lock I City think era. Twenty fourteen was probably their best team. Um, it's it's yeah. tough, you know. If if that hadn't happened, who knows what might have happened? Um, yeah. It, Not just that, and it was probably the, it's probably the healthiest the team has been. Yeah. Like in one in one postseason, Chris Paul got hurt in Game One uh, on that Draymond Green infamous out of bounds play, but and he and he hurt his and he got hurt. I think he hurt his hamstring. Um, but he was fairly healthy the the rest of the the rest of the postseason. So was Blake. Like everybody was healthy. That's like maybe the one time everyone was healthy aside from that first postseason. Even then, Chris Paul was like playing on one yeah. leg by the end of that that uh, Spurs series. So the team was really never healthy after that season. I mean, they were theoretically against the Rockets Paul where Paul had missed two healthy. games. So um with a yeah, I mean I don't think Blake was he either, was not so. healthy. So so like Yeah, so I yeah, I mean No, no. That entire series that everything about that is such a big what if and you know it's hard to really get into it that much because you can't predict the future and you can't do like this game theory kind of stuff on the past and you know what might have happened in that postseason if the Clippers, you know if that tape hadn't come out, you should, nobody really knows. But, um, you know, maybe they wouldn't have won the Warriors series without that. It's possible that they don't rally together and win that series against right, right. what was already a, a pretty good Warriors team without that coming out and bringing them together. So it's really impossible to say. But it was certainly an interesting time to be a Clippers fan. Um you know, it was one of the first times, even in the Lob City era, I think that really the eyes of the entire NBA were on the Clippers because the previous two years, I mean, they were a good team and they, you know, they made the playoffs and they won a, a series. But I don't think everybody was ever paid as much attention to the Clippers and Clippers games as they did, starting with that Sterling tape um, and the series that followed. So it's it's maybe the most high profile they've been in in the postseason ever. I remember that like I hated Sterling, but I feel like my feelings during that time between games three and four were really strange. Like it brought up a lot of feelings in me about the team and who was owning the team. Like I always hated Sterling. I never started rooting for the Clippers. Uh, because of Sterling and, and plenty and quite a, and a handful of people kind of took shots at Clipper fandom because of Sterling during this time, which is like the, the most petty garbage you could imagine. But um there was like I did kind of feel weird. There was a moment where I, I was like, man, they really they need to fix this now. Like otherwise, I don't know. I don't think that 
You know, I never really thought about my Clipper fandom. I've been a Clipper fan, like, most of my really cognizant basketball life. I've been rooting for the Clippers. But there was a moment with, with just feeling how dirty Sterling was and, like, hearing the tapes and remembering that Sterling still was owning this team where I was like, man, they this needs to get fixed because this feels bad almost, like, this team and this guy owning this team still. Because the league, and it's been detailed in the tapes and it's been detailed plenty, like, the league has just been kind of looking the other direction when it came to Sterling for the longest time during the Stern era. Um, Sterling is essentially getting away with just being a terrible owner, a terrible person owning, <laughs> owning just a, essentially just a moneymaker as much as he could ring out of the Clippers he did. And, you know, it was, co- it was common knowledge that we, everybody wanted Sterling out from the league, but the owners, you know, kind of just, Look the other way, even when it came to the idea of Sterling getting pushed out after these tapes, you know, I think Cuban and, and, and Shelburne mentioned this, that Cuban was kind of on record, Mark Cuban, about like, it's a slippery slope, you know, like, well, yeah, how I mean, am that, I going to get pushed out for something I did, the, you know, dirtier side or set on tape? And it's, is is that, this, yeah. You know, not to get too political or too, you know, whatever, but you know, most billionaires kind of suck. Um, and most most professional sports owners kind of suck, you know. In order to, to get to the top <laughs> like that, you generally have to screw over a lot of people along the way. Um, you know, I'm not sure about Steve Ballmer. Uh, you know, generally regarded as a very good guy, well liked. Um, but as a general rule, I mean, a lot of NBA owners have probably done some really shady stuff. I'm not sure if any of them were as like personally despicable as Sterling, but like. A lot of them have probably done some things that they prefer the NBA and fans and whatnot didn't know about and, you know, would look the other way on. So that is the other thing. I mean, not only are they just, you know, covering themselves and, you know, not wanting to set a precedent, but it was also probably we don't want any too deep investigations into our organizations or whatever. I mean, look at what happened to the Mavericks a year or two ago, with the sexual assault thing and harassment, and nothing happened to Mark Cuban for that. So. um and, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I think that's worse than what Sterling did because, I mean, Sterling said some awful things personally, uh, but, you know, Mark Cuban's organization was, you know, a sexual harassment dumpster fire for, it's like 16 or 17 years or something. Like, <laughs> I think that might be honestly more grounds to have somebody banned from the NBA. Like, I know he wiggled out of it. Like, I don't know how, what was going on. And, like, I didn't personally yeah. hire all these people, you know, whatever. Maybe he didn't, but I mean, you know, there's, that just gets me upset. You know, Sterling was certainly awful, um, but the idea that he was somehow unique is is probably misplaced, but he was really, really awful. And um, yeah, anyway, sorry, I just, I've had to interject with that because, you know, the idea of like all these owners, like, yeah, we had to get rid of Sterling, like, you know, I'm sure none of them really liked him very much, but this is not like, you know, a group of choir boys. Absolutely not. Yeah, and, and I think the the other owners kind of realized this, and that's probably why they didn't push Sterling out in the first place. I mean, there's really not too much more to say about the Sterling tapes. There were some pretty vicious quotes in there. I mean, he was calling, you know, his quotes on Olden Polonies were really gross. They kind of detailed the, the white parties that he would have every year. Blake Griffin talked about them a little bit. You know, they had some good stuff from, like, Q Rich, Darius Yeah, Reynolds. I mean, Sterling is um, Just, I mean, I'm not trying yeah, to... Yeah, Doc Rivers had some good quotes in there, but really, a lot of it... ...what he did. Like, he is yeah. an incredible <laughs> piece of shit. Um, 
like the stuff he did was disgusting. But yeah, but for the most part, I agree. I mean, I don't think there's yeah. anything <laughs> earth shattering in the podcast. Um, you know, I actually disclosure have not listened to like the entire full thing, but I've listened to a lot of it and I've read a lot about it from, you know, stories and whatnot. And, you know, I really just was not all that interested in rehashing this. Like I thought, you know, the idea was good and like, I'm sure it got a lot of traffic and whatnot, but I personally just didn't really want to well in the past, especially on such a sordid part of the past. I know it ended well with Steve Ballmer taking over and the Clippers going into this new era, but you know, I just want to think about the future. <laughs> yeah, me too. The soundtrack was really grungy. The score—it <laughs> was really weird, but yeah. uh, it was—it was well done. I think it's most more so for people who weren't familiar with the situation, um, which we all like very, very much were. Anybody listening to this podcast probably was very much versed in, in Donald Sterling and I'm I'm I can't believe he's gone still. Part of me is kind of I can't this whole this whole thing is is like very is very um affirming and and cathartic and alleviating just being rid of him. I thought for the longest time that he would never leave. Like that's that every bad owner would Stolen. die before Donald Sterling and uh and he's gone. Yeah, yeah, I feel, I really feel for them. And like, we could really feel for these people with shitty owners because the Clippers were just in this, you know, it felt like, it felt like he would always have his hands somewhere. I mean, Neil O'Shea was let go because he was month for month and he just had enough of this, of Sterling. Not to say he's a, he's a brilliant, I, I think it's been kind of shown that he's, he's a good GM, but he's nothing insanely brilliant. But at the time he had helped orchestrate the Chris Paul deal and the fact that he was just kind of let go because of the penny, penny pinching from Sterling yeah. was just like a reminder in the yeah. midst of even I Love mean, City that, I don't think I have too you know, much else he to can say screw either. things up. Um, Sterling so. sucks. Um, Steve Ballmer yeah. is great and, uh, the Clippers are in, in much infinitely better hands than they were five, you know, five plus years ago. Um, so. Yeah, it feels like much, much longer. <laughs> yeah, that, five years. That and then the Houston series and then the, the fall of Lob City yeah. aged Clippers fans wow. probably like at least 10 years. So, um. Yeah, it feels like it was a long time ago. I think the good thing that we've kind of realized, I mean, Doc had his dual president of operations role, GM and coach, and uh, probably, you know, Everybody was happy about it. At As the an time. instantaneous reaction, it made sense because he was such a face of the franchise. Yeah. Like giving, yeah. At the time, it was like, well, I'm glad Doc is staying. So there was a he really led the team through some really dark, dark clouds, and you know that ended up being kind of a mistake. The best thing is that Sterling, um, after Sterling was gone, Bomber took over, and you could tell that Bomber, after a couple of years of just feeling his way with the Clippers started really making his footing as somebody who's going to empower the right people, not put, not put too much of his own imprint on things because, you know, he was not the one with the basketball mind and he gave money to the right people. And, and he's just done things the really after the first couple of years of not sure, being not sure of what bombers, you know, era would be defined by. Yeah. He's shown and now speaking that this is what he's about. So he's been right doing people, all the right things for the last few uh, years. The only other Clippers news from the past few weeks is that it's not official yet, I guess, but it is basically official that they are bringing on Ty Lu as the new lead assistant to Doc Rivers. Originally, he was reported as associate head coach. 
I don't think that title has been confirmed. I mean, he has not been officially confirmed yet either. But um, what do you think about the Tai Lu on a completely different note, but on Palmer bringing in people uh, felt like a decent segue? I mean, it's cool. <laughs> Ty Lu, Ty Lu was part, I mean, I felt like Ty Lu was part of this triumvirate between him and Gentry and Doc, where I felt like the team was really well coached and had really a lot of the ground, the, a lot of the, uh, foundation of what Lob City was about were those three when the, they were all coaching us initially. Gentry especially with some of his offensive sets that we carried on through the years. And Lou, I mean, Lou has championship experience. Whatever you want to say about that LeBron year where they won a title, whatever asterisks you want to put on it, like he's still like, he still had a lot of experience with the guy we're probably might face sometime down the road. So I don't know much about his X's and O's. He seems like a player's coach, which is great. I mean, um, obviously he was a, he was a point guard for the Lakers for quite some time. And, and, uh, I don't know as much what to say about his coaching style aside from just he seemed to do well with egos. I, think pretty I don't know. Good. Do you I have mean, much to say specifically about how Tyloo is as a coach? I think the stuff he did with LeBron and Cleveland was kinda of underrated. I mean they met they went to the finals right. three straight <laughs> times, which you can say is easy when you have LeBron in his prime and maybe it is, but he still got them there. Their offenses were always unbelievable. Um and, you know, they did simple stuff mostly, but there's something to be said for knowing your personnel and knowing what's effective and just running with it. Like, he optimized this, like, kind of four-out or five-out system around LeBron where they would spread the floor with three-point shooters and have LeBron run pick-and-roll or play out of the post and just annihilate right, teams. Right. Like, that one series against the 60-win Hawks when they just made, like, 20 threes a game every game, and the Hawks who were a good defensive team could do nothing right, to right. slow them down. There's something to be said for that. Um, you know, I don't think he's some brilliant, you know, tactician or, you know, an NBA basketball genius, but I think he's a good coach. Uh, he certainly has the respect of players and people around the NBA, which is important. Um, and, you know, having recent championship experience cannot be a bad thing. Having insight to LeBron James can't be a bad thing. I just don't see any downside to the move and, and some decent upside. So, you know, to my mind, it's, it's a, it's a very good hire. I just, there's nothing that I think could really go wrong with this. Um, he's super tight with Doc. So it's not like there's going to be conflict between him and the head coach, unlike what the Lakers have going with Jason Kidd just waiting to stab Frank Vogel in the back. Um, you know, he's a proven good assistant. He's a proven head coach, and he's somebody who <laughs> right. should be a great fit with the Clippers organization. So, um, you know, I don't say I'm excited for him to come, but I think it's a really good hire, and I'm glad they brought him in. You know, I, I think it's good. I think he'll help them win games and maybe, you know, some playoff series next year. So that's all you can really ask for. Yeah, seems like a good hire. Seems like a good fit, and he's already previously known Doc. It's all good things. And yeah, you're right. I mean, the the whole, you know, it it does come to say I feel I feel like Lou is is underrated for what he did with the Cavs, just because people figured that the Cavs were meant to just win with LeBron, and maybe to an extent, you know, they were going to do that. But he he had some good schemes, and 
the way they spread the floor with LeBron really did numbers on most of those Eastern Conference teams. So it's and it goes to mention that you know the Clippers are kind of do kind of want to do like a like a like a five and out type of thing too. They've been really heavy handed on using their shooters recently, and Ty Lue can hopefully help turn like that similar kind of thing with maybe players like Kawhi and Paul George and just see how that works. So it'll be cool to see what, what Lou does. I, I have my questions about how this team will look like on the floor. So I'm going to be really interested to see uh their infancy and the plays that are run and how, th- how sets are run around two dynamic wings like we've never seen before. So, yeah, I mean, aside from that, really, we can talk a little bit about the schedule. There's not really much. I, I really want yeah. to say <laughs> there's, um, I just, I cannot bring myself oh, yeah, to care down. that yeah. much about the schedule. Like, as long as they have a, a respectable number of back-to-backs, which they do, I think they have 13 in the league average this year, it's like 12.3 or something, and they don't have any, like, insanely difficult stretches or, like, you know, there's nothing really that unusual mm-hmm. about their schedule. So, I mean, it's, I think it's really hard to analyze schedules like that. Like, you can point out interesting games or, like, toughest five-game stretches or easiest, but... You know, in the end, every team plays 82 games. <laughs> you play 41 at home, 41 away. Um, you know, there are only 29 other teams in the NBA. You play them all at least twice. Yeah, it's, the schedule is the schedule. I think the nationally televised games is interesting. Um, that's good for me because I'm on the East Coast now. And yeah. when I'm writing and talking about games and stuff, I prefer to not have to watch on my computer via League Pass. So the Clippers being on TNT and ESPN all the time, is great for me. Um, I guess, I don't know if we talked about this. What did you think about the early start times, starting at 7? I mean, for East Coasters, that's also fantastic. Um, you know, I, I heard some pushback from people, you know, in the L.A. area. What do you think about that? Oh, it's it's better for me. I, I, I've stayed up late to watch some of these games. I used to live in New York City. Uh, and it was awful when I was watching, especially the playoff games. I get destroyed because I'd watch the games late. We would lose one oh one one eleven to one oh seven to the Spurs, and I'd be eating up all the like post game media stuff. Yeah. So I would end up sleeping at like three and wake up at like five. So it would be really awful. But this is better. I mean, here in Iowa, um, I'm two hours ahead, so nine o'clock games are, are more much more manageable. I still end up. I feel like after games end, I still go on Twitter a bunch and just like see what people are saying, but it's much more manageable to be early. It's much better. It seems like, feels like they're going to be making things a little bit more friendly for people out on the East Coast. It will really be so is. much better when I'm back yeah. in LA in a year. Oh my gosh. It's yeah, really hard good. being, uh, when I was in, when I was in Europe, I used to wake up at four and watch the games. <laughs> or like like yeah, three I mean, or four like, four a.m. Watch the games. Sometimes um, do a write up and then just go to work. It was crazy. Yeah, go to school. But I mean, I think seven is still late enough that people should be able to get there. And I mean, if you're 15 minutes late, I mean, I guess you know every minute is important, yeah. especially with how expensive tickets are. You know, you don't want to waste a single minute of game time because it's you know, you're paying for that. But, you know, to the start time is usually 7.10, not 7. That gives you an extra little cushion. And, you know, I think ultimately it'll be fine. Like, you know, if you can duck out of work 10 or 15 minutes early, you can do that. Uh, you know, maybe you don't stop to get food on the way or, you know, there are ways to, to manage it. 
Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really have too much else about the schedule. I don't really have too much else in general, to be honest. Um, do you have anything else you want to yeah. talk about? Yeah. Yeah. Me neither. Really I mean, it was, it was um, weird reliving was, all the Sterling stuff on those yeah, tapes. We but only have a few. It's good um, that that's behind us. This might be one of our <laughs> shortest pods ever. Um, yeah. We can, we can go to Twitter questions. Newellville. What do you think the power forward rotation looks like? And could you see a rotate, a role for a man, yeah. parents man season simply as an extra ball handler in specific situations with the reserves? For example, when PG or Kawhi are resting and Shamit is starting. So the power forward rotation, I'm guessing Jamichael Green will start at power forward. I'm guessing Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, one or two of them, when they play together, will get at least some minutes there. Probably not too many, but some. I'm guessing Montres Harrell will get some minutes there, because I'm guessing he and Zubats will play together a bit more this year. And I think Patrick Patterson will get a shot at it. Um, did I leave out anybody? I think that's probably the power forward rotation. Yeah, I mean, I think Man can play if Lou Williams maybe misses a game or two for, like, load management. Then Man can play some spot minutes, Lou or Beverly. I feel like if one of the guards are knocked out, then he'll have a chance to play some spot minutes. But I'm sure Shamet will get some more responsibilities, and maybe Man will get some spot minutes at the, you know, the end of a, of a first quarter to the second quarter. That's yeah. when I can see him maybe playing the most. Other than that, on a healthy team, I, I can't imagine him playing much. You know, we're all very excited about – Terrence Mann, he's a very exciting prospect. He had a great summer league, but it's, it's, we should probably dial it down a little bit for his, expect, uh, for his, uh, playing on the team. Yes, Jerry West is excited for him. And yes, he's just a, he's a tantalizing prospect, but he's still just very fresh. And, uh, it'd be great if he, if he somehow carved out a role, like a Cinderella Thornwell type of role, not quite just defensive oriented, but as a playmaker who can play some defense too. But uh, it's it's hard to just take something when we see it from summer league and say it'll translate. He has all a lot of skills that seem translatable, but I feel like it's more so for the future rather than immediately this season. But I could see him. I could see him play some spot minutes for Lou Williams yeah, if Lou was uh was not playing in a game because you just need somebody to handle the ball a little bit. We also have uh we have um that Michigan dude that uh, I'm sure Rob, yeah, who Rob would be excited for, who, who showed a pretty good knack for handling the ball, who could maybe be a spot-minute type of guy, but they're both just spot-minute guys. I can't see them be being rotation type of guys. So we could be wrong. Who knows? I didn't think Sundaris Thornwell would really be much in the rotation, and he actually had a little bit of a niche. So we could see maybe something will happen with Man. And I pretty much agree with you, Rob. I think Jermichael Green will start. Uh, I wonder how much we'll see Trez and Zubat together because we didn't see them together much last year, but that definitely is something that will be no interesting. We'll go small a bunch, whether they're George or Kawhi, probably not much because neither of them yeah. show, show a predilection for playing much minutes at the four. Um, but really it's going to be Jermichael. Oh yeah. And Mo Harkless, of course. Mo Harkless, Trez. One of them from James at Don's Clips Patch yeah. is what were your key takeaways from Ramona's 30 for 30? On Sterling, which we kind of talked about. Um, so the final question, which is um, at Ben Thrifty, what do you think the new Clippers roster branding nickname will be? Um, right. I'm not sure if this is asking, like, what the new franchise logo name will be or if – yeah, I'm not sure if this means, like, the hashtag or just, like – I'm not entirely sure. Um, so I guess we could take it anyway. 
Um, the hashtag? I, don't know. I, would, I would imagine it might be something about like blue collar, um, like do it for the people or something. <laughs> like the people in the back, something along those lines. I mean, that's a bit long, but something like that. I mean, if it's actually like a rebrand of the team and a new nickname, I, I don't even know. I'm not good with this kind of stuff. Do you think there would be, what would, you, what are your thoughts on this? Either of those things. What, what was, what was, uh, what was the one, what did Paul George say at the presser? What was it the last year? One? The, is it, what was it last year? I can't remember. It was, and, and Paul George even said it, like, uh, run as one or something like that. I forget what it was. There was it go. together yeah. as one? Was That's that it? it? No, no, no. It was, it was something, ah, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but I'm forgetting, yeah. I'm forgetting what it was. We have like a very, there's a, is it LA Arway? LA Arway was it, right? Yeah. LA, LA Arway is pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, it's a very, it's like a very kind of, very obvious kind of, you know, it's pretty much what, it's pretty much what we've been saying this whole yeah. time that we're a blue collar team. We're the other side of Los Angeles. We're the, you know, the, the people in the back, the, the blue collar workers, like Pat Bev said, it pretty much gets the, it gets the point across and Paul George is already saying it. So like, um, I think that's not a bad idea for branding, but it's definitely going to be something along the lines of blue collar. This is how we are. This is us yeah. versus them kind of thing, which is really a stroke of genius. And Pat Beverly kind of indirectly pushed it all season long. Yeah. And, uh, and Doc has too. Uh, he, that's he probably it for me. I don't really have too much else to say. Like I said, I've been really busy. Um, so that's why I haven't been writing quite as much recently. It's not, there's nothing going on behind the scenes. It's, uh, you know, yeah. I'm still writing for Clips Nation. <laughs> uh, you know, I should hopefully finally have a long form piece thing out this week. I think I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. It's on Landry Shamit. Um, so hopefully that finally gets out. But yeah, I've been busy moving and it's just taken up a ton <laughs> of my time and starting a new job and, and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I, you know, the, the preseason is just over a month away and there's probably not going to be much news in the next couple of weeks. So, you know, maybe we'll pop back in in two or three weeks, but I don't, until news really happens, I don't think there's going to be anything urgent to talk about. We're probably going to finish our review of players from last year and then probably start getting a little bit into expectations for the upcoming season. Yeah, everything's kind of coming together. I think we'll probably do some more of those player reviews and that'll probably last us until we get to training camp and, and this very, very anticipated Clipper season. I think that'll do it for this episode of the Law of the Jam, the podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Subscribe us on whatever you listen to us to. And as always, go Clippers. <laughs>